Welcome to the Maritime Vision Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Wioli. In each episode, we bring you exclusive interviews with maritime professionals, industry experts, and students. Our guests come from different backgrounds, including shipping, yachting, offshore, supply chain, and more. Our goal is to give you all the knowledge you need to succeed in the maritime industry. Hello everyone, welcome back to a new podcast episode. On today in this podcast episode, we are joined by Stefan Holm. Welcome uh, Stefan, it's a pleasure to have you in this podcast episode. Today we are going to talk about uh, uh, EU ETS. And I think you are the right person to talk about it because you are a re regulatory expert. Uh, so of course you will explain what is your role. So first of all, can you uh, introduce yourself please? Thanks uh, Paul-Louis and uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I was, uh... Pleasant to have the invite to, to join your show. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, my uh, background is um, I have a, a degree uh, from uh, Copenhagen Business School in international business and politics. Um, at my last job, I was at a shipbroking uh, house uh, where I was in the advisory um, department, where I personally did a lot of uh, advice on um, on the new regulations coming into play. Um, so that's why the regulatory expert were, uh, yeah, uh, a title given to me here. Um, I s just started up my own shop here January 1st, uh, probably January 2nd. Uh, January 1st is already a bit hungover, right? Um, but uh, yeah, I just started up now and um, I'll focus on only doing um, advice on, on the, everything that's um, regulations related in the shipping industry. Um, so yeah, that's uh, a little bit about me. So before we start uh, right into the topic, if people have uh, ask, like, any questions about regulatory, how they can contact you? Um, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn, um, either to me directly or uh, from a company that's called the New Era a Maritime Advisory. Um, and I think uh, the New Era part of the name will get back to uh, during this uh, during this session because uh, I really think okay. that yeah. uh, shipping is is enduring some some changes at, at this point. Perfect. Okay. Right. So let's start now about to talk about ETS regulation. Uh, can you provide an overview about it and what is the goal of this regulation? Sure. Um, to have like the grand scheme overview of the EU ETS and why the shipping industry is being in introduced to this now, um, we need to take back to uh, the Paris Agreement from from the COP meeting um, in 2015. Uh, where uh, most nations in the world agreed on quite ambitious uh, CO2 reduction um, to be met by 2030. And to do this, they need um, all sectors to, you know, walk the same path um, on decarbonization. Um, and even though uh, shipping has been uh, regulated heavily on safety and uh, on operation, um, shipping has not been very uh, regulated when it comes to emissions and also to, to taxation. And I think that's mainly down to the international aspect of the industry. Uh, so trade between countries, uh, international waters and uh, the flag um, of a country can change overnight, right? So all those aspects have been, um, uh, you know, making it difficult for regulators to, to get uh, shipping to, to pay for, for emissions. Um, so they decided in the EU uh, not to wait for the IMO um, to make some sort of uh, taxation of, of emissions. And instead of, um, of waiting, they decided to incorporate into this uh, ETS. It's short for the Emissions Trading Scheme. And it's actually a system that has been in place since, uh, I think it's since 2003 in the EU, 
but only for like power uh, producing or steel producers, um, so like really heavy industry. And they have recently adopted the aviation and now also the shipping industry into this. So what it basically does and what is the intention of the EU ETS um, is to put a price on carbon, quite simply. So it's a market mechanism. You need to buy an allowance in the market to cover a ton of CO2 emissions. So when you buy that one allowance to offset your one um, uh, your one ton of emissions, um, then you actually you know put a price on on what's coming out of the chimney of the vessel. And when you put a price on that, you also incentivize people to go in and um, invest in some uh, energy efficiency measures. Um, of course, you already have that incentive in you know reducing the the fuel consumption and the fuel um, cost of, of a vessel. But now, by putting on uh, the cost of the emissions, you, you add to that incentive. Um, and then it's actually down to the individual ship owner to decide whether they should um, you know, uh, invest in, in reducing their emissions or if they should uh, just keep paying for, for what they're emitting. And uh, the, the way the ECS is designed is there will be a reducing amount of allowances out there. So the price is going to increase for the... Um, for emitting a ton of CO2 uh, going forward. Uh, so in that case, it should become uh, automatically more and more um, uh, financially viable to invest in, in reducing your emissions. So that's like the basics of the, uh, of the regulation that, that they have put is to put the price on carbon. Okay, so it's to you know to force the to make some kind of pressure for shipowner to decarbonize a little uh, progressively their fleet. Mm. Um, okay, so I imagine like uh, it's a progressive uh, regulation, or it, it's like um, uh, it will be the same. Uh, that it won't change for the upcoming years. Um, so uh, it has like a phase in this year. So so for twenty twenty four, it's a forty percent of the emissions um, that is covered under. And there's a reporting scheme called EU MRB, where every vessel record um, their emissions um, and then send it to a verifier who then verifies the, the emission. And 40% of those emissions uh, occurring um, uh, intra-EU trade and 50% uh, of those 40% going uh, to or from the EU, it only needs to be covered by allowances. And then next year, okay. it's uh, 70%. And uh, in 2026, it will be uh, 100% of emissions, but still only the 50% of um, of uh, uh, intra. Uh, no, no, sorry, I'm going to or from the EU. Um, so, so in that way, it's progressive, um, but it's mainly thought of as you know, letting people uh, learn how to comply before hitting them with a, with a big uh, uh, with a big bill um, for the EUAs. So, I think this year we will see, you know less uh, people uh, deviating the EU for, for, for this uh, because it's it's a relatively small amount that they have to pay, but then they get used to it and then next year it increases and the next year again, then then we are at, at, at full um, full phase in. Um, so, okay. so you have time to, to adapt. Okay, interesting. Um, so in terms of uh, the economic landscape, uh, what, what, this regulation, what kind of uh, impact it will make in the short, middle, and long term? So in the short term, I think we will see some um, non-EU owners and non-EU operators will probably decide not to go to the EU because you have to okay. do quite a substantial uh, compliance uh, exercise to, to, to comply with this regulation. So for one thing, you need to open an account in a national registry. 
So if I was a Danish ship owner, that would be easy enough. I would know sort of where to go and with the Danish uh, authorities to open up this account to just being mm -hmm. able to, you know, receive these allowances because allowances are only an electronic document. So it's like a, a closed uh, ecosystem that, that goes on with, with only a, yeah, electronic documents here. Um, so you can't, okay. you know, print them out and then sell them uh, or send them in the mail. You have to, to be able to receive them electronically in this registry. Okay. Uh, that, that, that's one thing. Uh, but if you were based, let's say, uh, out of China or out of uh, Singapore, then you don't have a national registry to go to. You don't have a national company that, that you can actually go in, uh, a, a national state that you can call and ask where to go. So the EU had made this uh, kind of funny arrangement saying that if you're not registered in Denmark or in the EU, then you have to register at the country where you have had the most port calls in the last two years. Okay. Um, okay. But then you have the further uh, complexity that a lot of ship owners do one vessel, one company. So you have like this special purpose vehicle that's, you know, just a, a, a drawer company for, for this one ship. It's still operated by the same group. But if you, you know, uh, go down to the specific vessel that's only owned by a company that only owns this vessel and has zero employees, but it's part of a bigger group. But that means that okay. if you have a fleet of, say, 10 vessels, you might risk of having 10 different countries that you have to report to. So the whole compliance exercise in the short run is going to be a nightmare for especially smaller companies. If you're a big company with 500 employees and uh, 200 vessels, this is just going to be something that your legal department or finance department is going to handle. And it's just another task for them. But if you're, let's say, a small family office of five to seven people, you're going to spend a lot of time uh, getting to know where you actually, you know, how to comply with this, with these rules. And you also have to service your contracts to make sure that that you know that that they are fit for for this new uh, world of, of regulation uh, in the EU. And I think for some from outside the EU, it will just be easier to say we're not going to bother. We're we're just going to say in our mm. vessel description that it's not EU fit. So you can okay. have time charter, but we're not going to call the EU. It's just too much of a hassle. Um, okay. Yeah. I just want to say, because you say non-EU fleet, it's quite interesting. It means maybe the regulation, it will uh, make uh, bring more business to the EU companies because we cannot maybe rely on non-EU ship owners. So maybe companies will just go for uh, EU ship owners, maybe. Maybe. Uh, I think more it will tend that business going to and from the EU will go to the more established companies. So you can still have a company from Singapore or Vietnam or China mm, yeah. or the US. But it just needs to be of a certain size. Otherwise, it's just going to be a hassle dealing with them. Yeah. So okay. I think sort of a you know quality improvement of, of your suppliers in terms of ship owners in the future. Um, and yeah, so that's what I think will, will be the main um, yeah uh, main consequence in the short run. In the medium run, um, we're going to see that people are you know uh, adapting to this and they are uh, planning and they are strategizing around it. So you can actually have, like, uh, as I mentioned before, you know, the economic incentive in reducing uh, CO2 uh, will be bigger. You will also have a bit of an uh, incentive to operationally plan your voyages so that you have the least amount of EU allowances. If you call a port close to the EU but not in the EU, then your inbound leg or outbound for that matter um, will be cheaper if you go, let's say, directly from Rotterdam to uh, Shanghai, as some of the main container liners do, right? 
Okay. They can put in a, a call, uh, let's say in Turkey or in uh, Morocco, then they would, uh, I think, like 80% of their CO2, maybe even 90% of their EUA uh, cost will be reduced. So I think you're going to see some uh, uh, operationally um, changes happening in the medium run. Uh, and then finally, in, in the long run, um, I think we're going to see some consolidation. Um, I think some of the smaller, uh, the family offices, they need to either grow or, or, or go away, um, uh, sell off and, and maybe move to either smaller ships or, or separate industries where it's not uh, as complicated. Um, yeah, so okay. I think that's like short, medium and, and long term consequences. Okay, interesting. Thank you for this information. Uh, so now if we want to talk more about the, the ship owner itself, the, sh or the shipping companies, uh, what they need to implement to comply with ETS regulation? Uh, for example, yeah, what kind of, um, what they need to do in the upcoming uh, month, years to, to comply with it? Yeah. So the first handing in of the EU allowances to cover your emissions is only going to be in September 25. So they have still close to 21 months. Uh, to, okay. to adapt to this. Um, but what they have to do is have a registry account. So they need to be able to receive allowances. They need to be able to verify their emissions. And they need mm. to have a contract stating um, if it's the cargo owner, if it's the ship owner, depending whether you're doing a time charter or a voyage charter, who is to pay for the emissions and how. Are you going to pay via the freight? Are you going to pay via transferring these allowances? Or how are you going to deal with this? Um, then you just need to have your emissions numbers verified uh, at the end of the year. Um, uh, I think it's in March uh, next year that they have to have verified. And then they still have time to, to go out and buy. So they also have to have some sort of market access uh, to the okay. year process. But we've okay. seen um, for, I think, a year ago, there were only very few brokers um, uh, who, who were dealing with, with allowances. Now, every uh, medium or uh, large-sized bunker company will also sell you these allowances. I think even the small ones can do it because it's quite, you know, a derivative of, of the um, of the bunker trade. So they will also uh, easily establish uh, market access and, and sell them to you. Um, so that's probably the, uh, the smallest aspect of the one. But having, you know, a transparent view of what you're paying for when you're buying these allowances, how you're allocating them. I think the accounting part of it would also be a, quite a big headache because when you go into this registry account where you can hold these allowances, you just have the number of allowances that's in there. So you would have to have some sort of accounting saying, okay, how much did I pay for them? When did I buy them? To which ship did I allocate them in the beginning? Or you should just you know, get an average price at the end of the year. But that means that you can't really close the PNL, uh, like the actual uh, economics of an individual voyage before the end of the year, because that's only when you know um, your average cost. So I think that model will, will not work for bigger companies because they need to know okay. exactly from this voyage, how much was my EUA cost? I cannot wait uh, nine, 12 months to, to get that, uh, that number. Okay. Thing. So we talk a lot about the ship owner perspective uh, because, of course, they have big uh, implication with this uh, new regulation. But what about ship builder? Uh, because they, they build the ships, though, so they, they are kind of concerned about it. And other, of course, we have other stakeholders as well who can be very concerned about it. I think for the ship builders, it, uh, the EU ETS is probably the least of their worries. You have another okay. uh, regulation in the horizon next year called the Fuel EU Maritime. So that's not what we're talking about today. But that is... Um, that is uh, in place to, to secure the uptake of, of new types of fuel 
um, and mm. that will require you know engine rebuilds or engine modifications to be able to to deal with these. Um, so I think that's more of, of their um, of their worries, not so much the ETS, because that's just paying for the emissions. You don't need any technical aspects. Uh, okay. Modified. Okay, very interesting. On to uh, verify the emission of a ship, or I won't go into the technical aspect of it, but um, do we, we need to, to call like a specific, uh, what can I say, qualified company to, to make it, or we can... Yeah. Uh, you, have, um, you have with the EU registered a few uh, third-party verifiers. That's mainly their class. Um, so the classes are the ones right now giving you the document of compliance. And uh, to get your document of compliance, you need to have an approved uh, EU MRV um, mm. uh, report um, if your vessel is, a, is above uh, 5,000 GT. Um, so they will also be able to do these uh, verification of emissions uh, going forward. Um, but I think we will see more maybe software uh, companies are, you know, uh, having on-demand uh, um, verifying of emissions do been done automatically. I think we will see more and more companies trying to go into that uh, area. Uh, and I know already that a few um, of these, you know, uh, performance tracking companies, CII um, uh, improvement companies, uh, it could be Zero North or similar. They have uh, established some sort of a calculation um, that that will be able to uh, confirm the. The emissions when you need to confirm them um, by the end okay. of the voyage, for instance. Okay, interesting. Uh, but now let's talk about the more the challenges concerned we have for those stakeholders, uh, because they will have to adapt to this ATS regulation. You say in September two thousand twenty-five. Um, what are the, right now the the issue you can see with your clients, or they, they always ask you, they're always afraid of. Yeah. about this regulation? Right now, we're seeing quite a few uh, different uh, approaches to tackling this. Uh, some say, I just want to know what the freight is, and it's the ship owner who will have to uh, surrender these allowances in, in September next year. It's not me as a cargo owner. It's not me as a charter. It's the ship owner. I will have to pay for it, but I will pay for it by the freight. I don't want to you know, disrupt my business by taking all mm. these uh, new factors in before I can do uh, a contract with the ship owner. Um, and then you have other parts saying, okay, I want to know exactly how much I'm paying for emissions because then I actually know what my scope free emissions are. Mm. Um, and I think you will have more and more in the last category going forward because you also have some uh, other new uh, EU regulation called the CSRD. That's a reporting directive on, on, uh, on sustainability. And that's, you know, uh, formalizing what parameters within scope one, two, and three you have to report on when you're a bigger company. And these cargo owners using these big ships, they're all big companies. So most of them will have to report on their all their emissions um, on all these scopes. And then here, shipping is just a big part of their scope three emissions. So they will have, you know, as a stakeholder, they will have an interest in knowing what the emissions are. And they will probably take a lot more ownership of, what is actually being emitted when I transport my cargo from A to B. And mm. I could easily imagine seeing um, some of them giving uh, maybe an emissions budget for a vessel saying, okay, uh, I want to have transported, I can pay you this. But with that, I, you are also only allowed to emit, let's say, a thousand tons of CO2 uh, during the transportation. If you emit more, then you have to pay for it yourself. Uh, okay. That's also improving their... 
scope-free emissions, and that will uh, easily, you know, attract the most efficient vessels to these kind of cargoes because they will have an advantage. Um, so you will have some of the stakeholders from outside the industry actually using this of a way to reduce um, their scope-free emissions. It's a little bit of an exercise, a little bit of a stretch to see it directly as that, but it's definitely a, a lever that they can pull um, for, for reducing their scope-free. And it's part of a bigger context from, from all the regulations that's coming out from the EU at the moment. Okay, very interesting. Uh, now I want to ask you something. Uh, this question, I always have this question, and I think you are the right person to answer to it. Uh, so, you know, in the shipping industry, the, we have the ship owner, we have the ship broker, we have the charter company. Uh, but sometimes we have a big issue to say who is paying for this ETS regulation. Uh, sometimes it can, uh, it can just stop the deal on being a quite a big concern for all those stakeholders. So can you, can you maybe clarify this situation? Sure. Um, actually, there was an amendment to the ETS rules uh, just a few months before entering into force, where it stated that um, a ship owner uh, would be able to reclaim um, and be reimbursed by the party who had uh, navigational control of the vessel. And here the navigational control is, is quite important because that means that if your vessel is out on a time charter taking orders from an operator, then they are uh, required to pay for your uh, EUECS cost mm. and the cost of EUAs. And then you can agree, should they transfer them or should they pay for you for that uh, monetarily? Uh, but if you are an owner and you are active in the market yourself, so you're doing uh, voice charters, you know, picking up cargoes here and taking them to, to there. Um, then it's yourself as a ship owner who's deciding on the speed and the direction and you're ordering the fuel for the vessel, all that. So you have, still have the navigation control, then you have to pay for it yourself. Then they just have to make sure to get that uh, reclaimed from the freight that they are getting, or if they agree something different with the cargo, like the example mm. I um, so for if you're operating your own vessel, meaning that you don't have it on time charter, um, that will actually uh, be very similar to just you know calculating what's the bunker cost. And since the emissions is a direct consequence of consuming bunker, that's actually quite easy for them to you know adapt to that if they're doing it. It's just an add-on on the fuel. So they should actually just calculate uh, a higher cost of the fuel than um, yeah. Than before. Okay. And then they, of okay. course, have all the compliance hassle afterwards. But I mean, just uh, dealing, calculating, adapting, it's just, you know, to, to increase the cost of your fuel. Okay. So now, if I give you, for example, an example uh, quite classic. Um, okay, I'm a, co a competitive broker, and uh, I, I, I will make a deal with a ship owner on the charter company, uh, like uh, get the cargo. Uh, but the ship owner come to me and said, uh, oh, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I don't want to, to comply with this regulation. You should take the all the measures about it. And I'm a broker. I say no. It's not working like that. Um, what is in this scenario the the best approach? So it will always be the ship owner who will have to to submit and surrender the EU allowances. So they will have to do it regardless. You can't transfer the responsibility to someone else. Mm. Um, so if they don't want to deal with it then they should just not go for a cargo going to and from the EU. And that leads me to uh, back to where I started saying that in the short term, you might see somebody declining to call the EU. 
and that would be an example for for that. Um, so okay. for a competitive broker, you would probably need to um, make sure that your clients are uh, well aware how they comply and that they are ready to to deal with it. Um, and if not, you should probably uh, hold their hands a little bit, uh, helping them through this uh, uh, startup uh, phase. Okay. Okay. Quite interesting. Thank you for that. Uh, do we have this regulation only in Europe or some other continent uh, try to uh, have the same kind of system? Um, I know that the UK is going to do their own system at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think also the... Um, um, the U.S. had a pro- uh, proposal in Congress uh, in the beginning of the year, um, but that's being postponed until after their election. Um, and I also think that China would be doing something similar. But between um, that was announced um, and now, then we had the IMO meeting this summer, um, where the IMO agreed that there would be some sort of greenhouse gas pricing that should apply globally. Mm. Um, and for uh, if that comes into uh, to force before that, then I think we will see a, a, a combination of the system and just putting it into one. Because if you have an individual system for China, one for US, one for EU, and, and also the IMO, then it's just going to be a nightmare to, to do international trade. Um, so I think they're going to yeah. find it within the IMO. Um, there is yeah. a, a little uh, but uh, to that, because um, this being decided by politicians, uh, with the EU, um, they will see some revenue from the from the maritime industry coming up as a consequence from the EU ETS. And I personally uh, think it's hard to um, uh, to see that they would uh, let go of this revenue that's coming into the EU uh, just because the IMO is doing something similar. That they would then just you know discard the system, and they have also put in in the actual uh, regulation. If you read it, uh, all the hundred and twenty pages, uh, there's like a small footnote saying that um, this system should be aligned with uh, an international system, but only if it's as uh, ambitious or more ambitious than the EU system. And I think that will be difficult to do in, in an IMO setting, um, because you will have some countries, you know, just not being interested in having an ambitious and high price of uh, of emissions. Um, okay. So I think we're going to have two systems in the future, but I think it's only going to be after 2027 or something similar. Okay, interesting. Uh, so do you have any tips you want to give for for any uh, stakeholder in the industry about this regulation uh, in, in your perspective? Yeah, um, for me, that would be, don't be scared of it. I mean, uh, dive headfirst into it and learn from it and then use it as your strategy. Because mm. if you are bidding for cargos as a ship owner, or if you are a, a cargo owner that wants to, you know, reduce your scope free emissions, then this is actually a very, very good tool to have aligned incentives uh, through uh, the contractual chain. So actually use it um, as a mean of, of reducing the emissions and, and, and uh, branding yourself on, on the green agenda. Um, and also for the, for the owners, I mean, if, if you have bought, I think it was last year, from, from the highest to the lowest price, and if you had bought all your emissions that day um, for, for a ship going, uh, I, I think the example was from a tanker ship going from Rotterdam to New York uh, and back uh, to low, I think that would actually have an impact of close to 3,000 US dollars a day on their daily rate uh, cost uh, when the... the okay when the EUSS is fully phased in. So, I mean, that's quite a competitive edge to have if you can have uh, $3,000 a day cheaper 
EU allowances than your competitors. So really, yeah. I mean, they have to go into this market at one at one point, um, and that point is now. And why not be the best at it? Why not use it to your advantage? I mean, it would be the same to always have more expensive bunker in your tank uh, when you're trading your vessel. That's just going to be uh, something that won't give you a profit at the end of the year. So uh, instead of being scared of it, use it to your advantage and use it as a as a um, yeah uh, as a strategic yeah yeah. So you, it's quite interesting what you say. You say that we can use this uh, new regulation in a way that it can may even increase our business profit, even make it, because it's what ship owner wants, actually, yeah. uh, to be straight to the point. So you, we can use this regulation to, to bring more business, to bring more opportunities. Mm, for sure. Uh, it's with any other uh, disruptive thing that's coming into an industry. I mean, if you're scared of it and trying to hide from it, then eventually it's going gonna, it's gonna to get you sooner or later. And this is a regulation. I mean, it's going to get you sooner or later. There is no getting around it. So why not, you know, be the best at it yeah, as soon as sure. possible and then use it to your advantage because there is no threat that isn't also an opportunity. And with this comes major uh, um, opportunities, for, for especially for ship owners. Okay. Thank you for the for all those informations, uh, Stefan. Uh, let's talk uh, to make the last short part. More talk about yourself. Uh, why did you decide to work in this uh, field of regulation, etc.? Yeah, well, exactly, and that's that's back to the name, right? A new era maritime advisory. I really think with all these uh, new regulations coming into play, the old way of doing business in 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 the shipping industry and in the ship programming industry as, as a ship owner, I mean, those days are gone. And people probably haven't realized it yet, but those days are gone. We're in a new era now where you have to, you know, think about these things. You have to calculate these things. You have to uh, be active in the market uh, to to be able to um, uh, to be able to get the best of it. Um, and and that's why I want to, you know, focus on this because I really think it deserves more attention than just, you know. Okay, but I can call my bunker supplier, then I can buy these allowances, and then I open an account, and then that's just it. I mean, I just think it needs to focus, and I think you need to be an expert to have that focus. Because if you also have to, you know, uh, fix your vessel and make sure that it gets out of the port in time, and you know, calculate your demerits, all that, this is just going to drown. I mean, it took me more than a week to fully read through um, the regulation, understanding it, you know, laying it out there, making a mental map of. Uh, what infect, uh, affects what and what dynamics do we see from this? Uh, so you really have to, you know, focus on it. And I think uh, I have spent that time and I know from having been at shipping companies uh, all my professional life, that time just isn't there. And that's why I mm. want to, you know, focus on this and, and helping business have that focus and maybe just putting it in front of them. Okay, this is actually your, your possibilities. Um, and, and here you can actually take a a leap uh, uh, compared to your competitors. Okay, okay. so you are specifically, uh, you're specialized in every kind of regulation, uh, only in EU or globally? It's, it's mainly the EU, um, but okay. I can also, you know, uh, help uh, with uh, the CII that's in place. I think that's what's of the main concern for, for everyone. Um, um, but it's not only related to the ETS, it's also, you know, the fuel EU coming up. How should you go about it with biofuel or when should you make a switch to other fuels? And there's also the, the CSID, as I mentioned, you know, the reporting. How do you optimize? Or I would really like to work with people on how to optimize their, their data and have that uh, becoming an integral part of, of the, the cargo mm -hmm. owner's data. 
and you know aligning their interest in in reducing their emissions um and then if i can do that both for for eu companies but definitely also outside eu um i just think since eu are the first mover it makes sense to to focus here Okay, very interesting. Uh, do you want to add something uh, for the end? Because now it's the end of the podcast. I think I asked you all the questions. Uh, but if you want to add something, it's the moment. I think that uh, for, for the students uh, watching this, I mean, it's really uh, a time where you can go out and be an expert in the beginning. I mean, I came mm. uh, out to a company expecting to learn, and I did learn a lot. But I quickly found out that I, you know, learned about something that nobody knew about. So it's really, you know, when times are changing, it's it's really a time filled for also your personal ambitions um, that can come through. You can become an expert very, very quickly. Um, so even though it's a conservative industry in many ways, um, having a, a new perspective and bringing your um, ideals to, to, to a company and bringing your interest into a company, I mean, you can really... Uh, you can really hit the ground running. So I would quite uh, try to uh, uh, yeah, give that as a, as a little uh, speech to, to the students seeing that you should really believe that you can go out and make a difference from day one in, in, a, in a business. Very nice words, yeah, yeah, for sure. That's a very uh, important what you say that uh, with all the, the because maritime or not only maritime industry, but nowadays we have so many challenges mm. more than before on new regulation, but not only regulation. We have so many. Uh, opportunities, different projects. So it's quite easy to, to find a, a niche, I, I can say. It's not easy to find a niche, but it, it, it's, it, I mean, it's easy to get access to the niche, but you need to find the niche you like, by the way. For sure. On, and, and the shipping, or needed. Exactly. And, and, uh, and the shipping industry has been known as quite a dinosaur industry in some aspect, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's all been a, a, a relationship business. Uh, I know this guy, this girl. And yeah. All that has been, you know, the, the way of success, but that's those days are really, really over. Um, and uh, people are going to realize it at some point. And that's the, the opportunity, the scope of opportunity for, for the new, uh, new talents out there. So uh, really uh, go out and, and believe in yourself and, and find a niche, uh, at least that what I would do, uh, and, and then focus on that and, and believe that you can actually make a difference, even if it's on, you know, making profits or, Having a green agenda. I mean, there is every sort of aspect out there that you can that you can indulge in, and you can really, you know, take a company to to a new level. I completely agree. Yeah. Thank you, Stefan. Uh, it was a pleasure having you. Uh, you helped a lot of people. I'm sure uh, we will have a lot of good feedback about this episode. Uh, thank you again, and I wish you, of course, all the best for 2024. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for listening and watching this episode. We are looking forward to bring you more insights from maritime professionals, experts, and students. Do not hesitate to follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Your support means a lot to us and helps us to bring you more content.